yes, there is a lot of discouraging news. We don't know what's going to happen in the fall. We had a time of prayer this morning, and I would encourage you uh, to join in that time of prayer. We, we start at 8.30. I know that's early, so um, uh, we probably will begin meeting perhaps in September uh, at 9 o'clock, so that 9 to 10, we can come together for prayer and then, of course, get ready our hearts for worship. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of brokenness that uh, we talked about today in our time of prayer. Brokenness um, in, um, in, in communities among our children. So there was prayer requests that were shared about uh, CAPA. Um, uh, this is an organization called Court Appointed Special Advocates, where it's so important for us to be praying for kids. You know, when things like coronavirus um, um, happens, when COVID-19 happens, we hear all the numbers, but what we fail to realize is that they are kids, little kids, orphans, fatherless kids who are impacted. And there are people who take advantage of these kinds of kids and these kinds of situations. So what do we do as a church? How do we pray? And, and that's what we did this morning. I would encourage you to join us. There is also uh, aspects of brokenness that is going on in our high school where kids are impacted by COVID-19 and we need to be praying for them. Our middle school kids, high school kids in Vernon Hills, in Libertyville, um, there is brokenness in health. There are people in our congregation yesterday in my life who are, who are impacted by COVID-19. Some are suffering from COVID-19. And these are situations that we need to be praying for as a church family. It's so important for us to be praying for, for, uh, for these situations because uh, we know that we have a God who cares and who will hear our prayers. So it's our responsibility to go to this God, right? And it's our responsibility to check out the brokennesses in our society. On August 19th, we'll be having a very, very special town hall. And I would encourage you to pray about that. This is a town hall with um, two amazing men of God. One is Dr. Michael Emerson. He's a sociologist. He was the provost at North Park University and now is the head sociologist at the University of Illinois in Chicago. He's world-renowned about issues of racial brokenness. And how do we as a church who believe in the Redeemer bring about healing in a broken society? That's what this will be all about. So as you hear more about it, pray about it, um, and, and I encourage people to come and join in. This will be a Zoom town hall. Other churches from our neighborhood will be joining in as well. That's August the 19th. And then, of course, we need to be praying for our teachers who are going back into, into schools, some face-to-face. -face. Um, and that's so important for us to be praying for our teachers, praying for our friends, praying for our neighbors, because that's what Redeemer Life does. That's what Redeemer Life does. We're going to be continuing in our uh, series on um, how to bring about 
uh, a pandemic of of the Holy Spirit in our in our land that is so so swarmed by the storm, right? And David Kim led us in the song of right in the midst of the storm and bad news, we have a cornerstone. We have a foundation that's sure, and we've got to hold on to him. We've got to hold on to him and share him with others. So we will be going through, we'll continue our series of how to bring about a pandemic of the Holy Spirit. I want us to now go into the beginnings of where the church, the early church, reached out to a broken society. How did they reach out to a broken society? And having said that, I want us to also examine how did Redeemer life come to shape so that we, as a group, those early people that came together some, uh, some 10 years, 12 years ago, uh, 14 years ago, who said we want to bring about healing in a broken society. So I want to share with you some of these shots that Pastor Peter Kim sent to me. Uh, let's see if this would work here. I'm going to share this and I'm going to see if I can um, uh, uh, share this as it is. I think you'll be able to see this um, quite clearly. This is a picture that was, uh, that was uh, sent by Pastor Peter Kim of a church that came together. And you see those beautiful faces. I know it's a small picture there, but you see those beautiful faces of people that came together. Uh, and this is a very, very early uh, picture of the first group of people that came together. You know, there's a few faces that you recognize. There's Pastor Peter Kim. There is um, his wife, Kathy, and then the little baby there. And, and then there is a Jungs. Uh, there is David and Eunice Young. There's a guy by the name of Jiju, who is somewhere around, somewhere in the world now. And then, of course, we have uh, David and Alice Kim. So you see them. And they talked about ideas. And you see those ideas there. What do we want to be? We want to bring about healing in a broken society by grace. We want to walk the journey with the people. We want to do this by faith. So they came up with various terms. That is from 2009 till 2011. And then uh, as, as the narrative goes on from 2000 and 2009 and 2011, there was a church house group that was found. It was a house church. And uh, um, in many senses, I think house church is the way to go with, especially with the, the pandemic that's uh, struck us. We know that, you know, large group gatherings will be a little while before we come together. And so house groups was the way to go. And it probably is the way of the future. I don't know. We've got to pray about it. Um, and then there was a church plan from 2012 to 2014. And you saw those, see those beautiful, beautiful faces with those blue shirts there. And then, of course, when we, as we go on further, it is commissioned as a church in 2014. It was always from the beginning uh, a covenant church, but here it's co commissioned on, in 2014 and see all those faces and and you see me there also in my, I don't know what kind of a sweater I have, sitting right next to Pastor Peter Kim. 
So I wanted to just bring you remembrance of this. As we think about the early church, we also think about early Redeemer life. Do you see the two pictures together? And then there is um, this picture where um, the mission statement is, uh, is brought together by the early group of people. Redeemer life desires to bring the changing, life-changing realities of the gospel to Lake County and beyond in a very, very broken society. As experienced in every facet of our lives, found only in the Redeemer. That is the crucial point. Cornerstone, Christ alone. That's what uh, uh, Peter Kim, uh, a big pardon, David Kim led us in, in singing about. And here are the four core values that I believe holds the early Redeemer life together and should go on forever and ever and ever. What are the basic four values? The first one is brokenness to examine the multiple complexities of brokenness that is there in society. There is spiritual brokenness. There is emotional brokenness. There is physical brokenness in the form of health, diseases like coronavirus. There is family brokenness. There's societal brokenness. There's racial brokenness. My goodness, there's so much brokenness in society. And, and, and the goal or the core value of Redeemer life is to examine those. It's so important for us to examine those and then bring them to the Lord in prayer and then go out into the world and be a healing community. You see, a community that's broken up together brings with it all kinds of weaknesses, all kinds of disjunctures and all kinds of violence and all that. And, and to go into the world to become a healing community. Secondly, to be an authentic community. That's so important for us to say, we are not perfect. We are healing ourselves. That's what the church is. The church is a hospital. We bring people into triage. We bring people into the ICE intensive care unit. We take people into the inner reaches of their hearts and lives so that people are healed. And then we form community, which can only be formed in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is Trinity. There is unity in diversity. And so we give people the Redeemer and life in the Redeemer. And thirdly, to be a missional community. Missional community. Now, I want us to keep this in mind. Always keep this in mind. This is Redeemer life. It's a, it's, a, it's a community that examines the brokenness, that brings about healing community, an authentic community, and a missional community. The gospel calls us to serve our community both here locally and in Chicago and abroad globally through the ministries of justice and mercy. That was the, was the goal of Redeemer Life, and let's keep that in mind. Redeemer life. Here is the text, the core text that was shared with me by those people that were there in that original community. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. And here's what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in the cornerstone, in the Redeemer, and Christo in Greek, in Christ, the new creation has come. 
That's what Redeemer Life proclaims. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation in Christo, in the Redeemer, that God was reconciling the whole world, this broken world to himself in Christ, the cornerstone, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us, through Redeemer life. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is our imploration to the broken world around us, Redeemer life. God made him, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is our core text. Those are our core values. That is our mission statement. Now let us go into, uh, into uh, the, uh, the, the text of the Bible before us and see how did the early church do this? It's, it's found in Acts chapter 13. So I'm going to be beginning with this, um, with, with this church that sent out people into the community, into the world around it. And let's see how did they do it? How do, how do the four core values translate into that early church? You see the two parallel themes, early church and then early redeemer life. And, and my task, I was asked today in the prayer time is, what is your task as the interim teaching pastor? And I said, my task is to get Redeemer Life ready so that when the new pastor comes in, that new pastor hits the road running and Redeemer Life goes and establishes his four core values in a broken, broken society. So how did they do it in the early church? Boys and girls, if you're with your parents and they have their Bibles, look at them and say, Please open your Bibles to the book of Acts and chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Here's what it says, and I'm reading from uh, the, the African Study Bible, which is in the New Living Translation, which I like a lot. New Living Translation. Here's how it reads. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas and Simeon, called a black man. He was black. Lucius from Cyrene, who was also black. Do you see that there were African leaders, black leaders in the early church? And then there's Simeon called a black man, Lucius. And there was Manaean, the childhood companion of King Herod, Anippus. And then there was Saul. So these are five people who were leading the early church in a place called Antioch. It was very multiracial, very multi-ethnic. And that's one of the things that we should probably keep in mind. And that is that the early church brought about healing by choosing leaders from different races. They understood it's a broken society and there needs to be a diversity of leaders. And so that's what they did. Verse two, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord. Now, Literally, that word is they were serving the Lord. 
They were servants. They were servants of the Lord and they were fasting. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Do you see that? A pandemic of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way in which things can be done. The Holy Spirit came upon them and said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. I find this so fascinating because these are people who are so unlike each other. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul. You know, if you, if you, there's this thing called the Enneagram. I don't know if you've taken that thing called the Enneagram. It's a test where there's type one, there's type two personalities and type three personalities. And these people just didn't fit those categories. I mean, there was Barnabas who was the quietest of quiet person. He was an encourager. He could never say anything bad about anybody. You've met people like that, right? They're really nice people to be around. And then there's Saul. Saul was just full of himself. I mean, he said, I'm going to kill all these people. And then he encounters Jesus. And we saw that last time, right? But Saul, did that change Saul's personality? No. He was still that type nine personality or type eight personality. I mean, it's the opposite ends of the Enneagram, if you will. But God says, I want them to go. And they looked at each other and they said, what? You want Barnabas and Saul to go? My goodness. They're not going to get along together. But the Holy Spirit says, let them go. So after more fasting, it says, and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Then it goes on to say in verse 4 of Acts chapter 13, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed from the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, by the way, went with them uh, as their assistant. Afterwards, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos. When they met a Jewish uh, sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar Jesus. Uh, that means the son of Jesus, the son of Yeshua. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, Elymas means the wise person, the priest person, the person who has a large gathering around him. He was a sorcerer and uh, inferred and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul were saying because he, won. he had his own religion. He had his own religious following. He was a guru, if you will. He was a Buddhist monk, if you will. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul. Now remember, Saul and Paul are the same. When Jewish people, when Hebrew people called him, they would call him Shaul. When Greek people call him, they'll call him Paolo. His name was not changed, but interchangeably, he was called Saul or Paul. 
filled with the Holy Spirit, it goes on to say in verse 9, he looked the sorcerer in the eye. And I like that. He looked this man, this man who was a guru, this man who talked to the spirit world, had in his control the spirit world, the evil spirit world, if you will. He looked at him and he asked, son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never perverting the true ways of the Lord? You're Jewish for crying out loud. You should be worshiping the Lord and him alone. What is this you're doing? Bringing this evil spirit world into all this mix of religions that you've come up with. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, watch now for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you'll be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly mist and darkness came, came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. You see the power of those people who are led by the pandemic of the Holy Spirit? That's what you see in Paul and in Barnabas. And then it goes on to say, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. He said, whoa, this is something I've never seen before. And he believed in the cornerstone, the redeemer, the person, the only person who can give life. For he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord and the works that the Lord did. And that is the commission that God has given to us. Redeemer life, that is the commission that God has given to us. How did they accomplish this? First of all, they knew they were going into a broken world. That is so important. Where did they go? They went first to Cyprus, which is the most broken of all broken places. That is where all the slaves are brought in before they were shipped to other parts of the world from Africa. That is where all the scum of the earth would go to. This was the place which had a lot going on. This was the place where the Apophroditus, the, the goddess of sexuality was worshipped and people were bringing women from all over the world and doing bad things to them. That is where Saul and Barnabas go to. But how does it start? Look at this. The first thing that needs to happen is that one needs to understand how to examine the brokennesses of the world. When you have seen the brokenness of the world that is, that is spiritually broken, physically broken, medically broken, health-wise, emotionally broken, socially broken, families breaking up, you go to the heart of brokenness. And how do you do that? First of all, it says that there were prophets and teachers among them. Prophets and teachers. We need to become increasingly a teaching community. A community that is focused on the word of God. You know, we are a part of the Covenant Church. And the Covenant Church has got this central creedal crucial nuclear statement, and that is, where is it written? 
A Redeemer Life community cannot be a true community of God unless it focuses on the teaching of the Word of God. Where is it written? And, and Redeemer Life, keep this in mind, especially as a new pastor comes in, we need to be focused on where is it written? Where is it written? Where is it written? Constantly ask that question because it needs to be a teaching community. And then our young people need to be increasingly focused on the word of God. They'll go into colleges where people will say, God, what's with God? And they need to know that they can depend on the written word of God as we talk to them at Redeemer Life. And that's the beautiful thing about Redeemer Life. Pastor Young B and her team are doing an amazing work among the kids. This needs to be carried on among the youth group. This needs on our life groups. It shouldn't be coming and chattering about various kinds of things. It's not a social group. It's a group that depends on life groups are groups that focus on the word of God. So it was a teaching community. Secondly, it was a prophetic community. So it's a community that focuses on, on, on the word of God. Where is it written? That is where you examine the brokenness of society. You diagnose the brokenness of society. And then you become a, a prophetic community. What is a prophetic community? A prophetic community is a community that diagnoses the issues of the world from the perspective of the word of God and then become truth-telling. That's what it means to be prophetic. It's not telling what people want to hear. That's what politicians do. You know, they say all kinds of things that they know will tickle the ears of the people who are their hearers. And that's why the message keeps on changing. But Redeemer Life, we are increasingly supposed to be a community that's truth-telling that is speaking truth to power, that is speaking truth to our community, our broken community around us, not just saying things that we know people will want to hear, but diagnose truth-telling. And then based on that, we need to tell about what is gonna happen because people will face the consequences of how they uh, how they encounter the Redeemer. So a prophetic community is a foretelling community, and based on that, it is a foretelling community. And we need not be ashamed of being a prophetic community. So a teaching community, a prophetic community, but also a diverse community. This is so fascinating that the leadership is so diverse. You know, in, in this, uh, uh, in, on the 19th of August, we'll be having this uh, town hall on, on, on divided by faith, united by faith. Yes, we live in a divided world. We need to recognize that, that racial injustice has been done to our African-American sisters and brothers. Racial injustice has been done to the Native American communities. Racial injustice continues to happen. Other kinds of injustice continues to happen. But what is the healing thing that the early church brought about? 
they established leaders who were diverse, very diverse. We want to be communities that look like each other. And that is what divides one community from another. 11 o'clock hour said Martin Luther King Jr. is the most distorted time in the whole world because there is Indian American churches, there is South Indian American churches, there is Asian American churches, there is Black American churches, there is white American churches, there's Methodist churches, and we all want to look like each other. We want to pray like each other. We want to sing like each other. We want the same kinds of songs. That is not what the early church did. The early church in his leadership was diverse, very diverse. That is what healing, that is where healing happens. When people don't even know what to say to each other. Then they look at God and say, God, what can I say to each other? How can I pray? How can I worship? That's what the early church did. Thirdly, uh, fourthly, for teaching community, prophetic community, diverse community, but it was also, it says here, worshiping the Lord. Literally, the word is serving the Lord. You know, we have made this big thing about worship where it's only people that can sing well, it's only people who can play the guitar well or the piano well who are up front reading in worship. That is not what the Greek word is. The Greek word is serving. We need servant people in the church because it's servant people that bring about healing, not people who sing the best, or people who play the best music, that is not worship. It is serving community, where we serve each other, where we wash each other's feet. That's what Jesus said. I am here to wash your feet. You want to follow me, become servants. It's a serving community. And then fifthly, it's a community that's willing to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Not my own voice. Oh, Holy Spirit, says Redeemer Life, I want to hear your voice. I want to silence all the other voices that I've heard. Yes, voices of my knowledge, voices of my understanding of the Bible, voices of the understand, my understanding of what this doctrine is or that doctrine is. That's how infighting takes place in churches. No, we want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Quieten ourselves. Because we are people with big egos. And the early church says, you want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Quieten down first. And hear. And when you hear, then you will do. And then... To be willing to be sacrificed. Here it goes on to say, uh, it says, appoint to me, says, says the New Living Translation, Barnabas and Saul, for the special work I have called them to do. That Greek word is a word that means people who are willing to be sacrificed. So redeem my life. If we want to be a community that 
brings about the pandemic of the Holy Spirit, we need to be a community that is willing to be sacrificed, to go and become sacrificial. Think about all that the early church went through. And then we are called, these are called people for a task. When we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, when we are servants and we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then they are willing to do whatever God wants us to do. You know, everyone wants to be up front. Everyone wants to be doing things up front to be seen. But that is not what we find here. It is to say, you need to be willing to do whatever God wants you to be and to do. That's what the early church was. Then notice what else happens there. They didn't say, hurrah, we're going to let them go. Verse 3 says, so after more fasting and prayer. Do you see that? The early church did not just make decisions and go with it. They kept on fasting and praying, fasting and praying, fasting and praying. I don't know how much fasting and praying do we do in the modern church, but I bet you we don't know what it is to fast and to pray. Why do they fast and pray? Because who are the people who fast? It's the hungry, right? It's the people who are marginalized. It's the homeless who don't have food to eat. And that's why the early church fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed and fasted and prayed because their cornerstone, Jesus, the Messiah, fasted and prayed, fasted and prayed, fasted and prayed. So redeem our life. We are looking for a new pastor. You want that person to be the person of God. Spend time in fasting and in prayer. Because it's only in fasting and prayer that we come to that place where our ears are open to listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's what the early church did. And then it becomes a community that releases. It released not some little kiddo there. Oh, you just come out of college. You can go for missionary work. Oh, you're no good to our church. You can go for missionary work. They sent their best of best. They let them go. That's what the Greek word is. They released them. Release them. Go and do whatever God wants you to do. You know, I've dealt with a lot of mission agencies. I've been on the board of different mission agencies. And here's one thing I've found in modern mission agencies. They want to control their missionaries. We are giving you money. We have sent you. You better do what we want you to do. That is not releasing. Releasing is saying, yes, we'll give our money to you because we want to serve God. But you go, you go and do whatever God wants you to do. That's what they did in verse four. So a community 
that is a Redeemer Life community, a community wants to bring about healing in the world, is a releasing community. Tenthly, it's a community that lets people go to the place where the brokenness pandemic is the hottest. Paul and Barnabas were not scared of going to Cyprus. That is where it was the worst of worse. I think we want to be a church that is so secure in where we are because of course, Vernon Hills and Libertyville and Northbrook, these are very secure areas. But that's not what the early church did. The early church went to the place where the brokenness was the hottest because they knew that they had the Redeemer and they wanted to bring Redeemer's life to this broken community. So they went to the place where the pandemic of brokenness was the hardest and the hottest. Going to the heart of brokenness. But when you go there, you have to encounter people like Elemis. You know, in Antioch, they never encountered people like Elemis, but here they did. He was a sorcerer. And that's what happens when you go to Mexico, when you go to Africa, when you go to India, you're face to face with the reality of evil. Evil is at its worst at these kinds of places. But because Paul and Barnabas went from a fasting and praying community, they knew that a fasting and praying community will stand behind them. And so they went and they looked at this person in the eye. I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it's happened to me when I've gone to Africa, when I've gone to the Zulu hills, the Zulu villages, when I've gone to Kenya, to, to, to the Kakamu refugee camp, to Mexico, Mexico City. I have seen evil in the eyes and it's scary, believe me. It is scary, but Paul and Barnabas looked at this person and the evil eyes in the face, and they said, you are evil, you think you can do stuff? Forget about it. We believe in a God who's greater than you. And they spoke truth to power. This was spiritual power. That is the calling of Redeemer Life. In the face of this evil called the coronavirus, COVID-19 epidemic, Redeemer Life, we have to go out into the brokenness and speak truth to power. Evil, spiritual power say God will overcome in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's when 12thly transformation happens in the whole society. You see that? When the governor saw verse 12, what had happened, he trusted in the cornerstone, the Redeemer. So Redeemer life, as we look at 
the, the core values of Redeemer life. We need to hold on to that. Firstly, we need to be willing to go and examine and bring about healing to a broken society. Multiplicity, complexity of brokenness, that is the calling of Redeemer life. Secondly, we need to be a healing community to become a triage unit, a unit that brings people into this hospital called Redeemer Life where they can in love find the healing. That's what the world is looking for, Redeemer Life. Are you willing to do that? Thirdly, be an authentic community. That's what the early church was. You saw that. We need to understand that we are Pauls and we are Barnabas's and our Simeons and we bring our own brokennesses. But because we were willing to walk that walk with Jesus, oh, this person called Simeon, he was the one who was a black man uh, walking the streets of Jerusalem, streets where Jesus was walking and those white soldiers said to him, hey, you black man there, take up this cross and he did. He did. Those are the kinds of people who do amazing stuff. So it's an authentic community. And then fourthly, it's a missional community. Carrying out ministries of justice and mercy to a broken, broken world that needs the Redeemer. That is our commission. That is what the early church did. Are you ready for that Redeemer life? Keep those in mind. So may God bless you. And may he enable you, my sisters and brothers, to be a community that examines the brokennesses of society a very, very broken society. And then to be a healing community, especially as COVID-19 becomes a post-coronavirus society. And as the new pastor comes in, may we be a community that brings about healing. In the midst of it, my prayer is that we would be a community that's authentic, that says, I also need healing. And let the Holy Spirit heal each one of us as we bring about healing. And then fourthly, be a missional community. So important, redeem our life for us not to be an ingrown community because an ingrown community just comes to nothingness and evaporates. It's a missional community that gives the Redeemer to the world. May God bless you and may he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you so that Redeemer life will indeed bring the Redeemer, bring the freeing Redeemer 
into a broken society. Are you ready for that? If so, would you raise your hand and say, Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. God, God bless you. God bless you. Oh Lord, I pray. I pray for Redeemer Life. This beautiful, beautiful community that you started those many years ago through that group of six or eight families that came together and dreamed of Redeemer Life. This community came together, oh Lord, just like the early church community came together in Jerusalem and now in Antioch to bring the Redeemer and his life to the world. Oh Lord, I pray for those who raise their hands now. And I pray, Lord, for, for the whole Redeemer Life community that it may indeed be a community that causes a pandemic of the Holy Spirit to eradicate the pandemic of the coronavirus crisis. Oh Lord, use each one of these, my sisters and my brothers. Lord, as we prayed this morning during the time of prayer, I pray along with the whole community that you would bring a pastor who hears your voice and leads this beautiful community to increasingly become a community that gives the Redeemer and brings healing to the world around us. In the name of the risen Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.